Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So after the holiday break, welcome back, Jeremy. Thanks, buddy. I missed you. It's been like three weeks. I know. Well, more than that, because uh, you were in Croatia and I was in Chicago conferences. And so it's actually been longer than that, I think, since we actually chatted. So yeah, it's great to catch up. And thanks to our listeners for being patient with us as we uh, went through the the holiday. Hope everyone had a great holiday as well. Yes. um, It was actually uh, three weeks off for me over Christmas and spent most of my time looking after my daughter and playing and trying to teach her to ice skate at two and a half years old, which is good fun. But um, it was a nice break. I I uninstalled all of my apps off my phone. So I had no work stuff within reach at all. So it was, it was really nice. Yeah. It's, um, so add in 365 closes the office around the holidays. And this first time I've been at an office where they closed the office. It was quite refreshing. Nice. But uh, after hanging out with an infant, I could go home and leave him with his mother instead of having to 24-7 parenting. So I'm glad. But uh, back in the saddle, yeah. it's nice to be here. And we have a whole bunch of news to catch up on. So some we'll cover this week and others we've punted to future things. So um, diving right in, there's a new API on the, in the V1 endpoint of Microsoft Graph, the Insights API. Huh? I think this this holds the record for the longest API in beta on the graph. The Insights APIs, which essentially are the APIs that power the Delve user interface and the the files UI in the contact cards that you have across M365, um, it went V1 right before um, Christmas. It was probably two years in the making with this one. It was released really close to the beginning of when we announced Microsoft Graph. So maybe it is more than two years. I'm being generous to it. It evolved quite significantly over that time based on feedback and essentially based on uh, our own COGS concerns, our costs for running that particular part of the service and trying to get it to a place where we were comfortable with that. Because as you know, like no one pays anything for the Microsoft Graph. It's kind of part of the bundling of the licensing. And so we have to be cost sensitive where we can. And so this one we knew is very popular. And man, if I had a beer for every time someone asked me when that thing was going to GA, I'd be permanently drunk, I think. (laughs) So it's nice to finally be able to go, yes, it's on V1 and go check out the docs. So I know Simon Holt, who's in our um, Oslo office, was really happy to see that stuff go. Yeah, this, you know, this always confused me a little bit and maybe you can help enlighten me and, and listeners, right? So there there always was like a, a shared with me or recent stuff on the graph, right? This is not the same as that, right? This is something different. No. So there's three things that Insights has is um, shared, which is basically what's been shared with me. Trending, which is documents that trend around me based on who are my colleagues and who I interact with. And then used, which is return. I'm reading this from the thing because I can remember this one. Returns documents hosted in M365 that a user has interacted with. When you access to both the document and the visibility into the interaction, you can see a person's file edits, but not their file opens. So that that one's a little bit different too, shared. Um, And that's kind of like your MRU. So a lot of partners we know and a lot of people on like internet homepages will use that one to kind of be like a most recently used files across m well, well, not necessarily used, right? So if I go to the SharePoint home page, I can see that it'll tell me that Jeremy opened a file. That's kind of what that would yeah, be, that's right? True. Yeah, so okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's true. So, okay. Yeah. So it's a bit more than a used in the yeah. sense that um, it's your colleagues as well. Yeah, so that shows up on the SharePoint at home. That's the other place it shows. There's a bunch of places yeah. where it pops up. Um, but I find it super useful. Like Delve is super useful tool for stalking people. And obviously the, the insights APIs and all those experiences we just talked about, like it's security trim. So it's not going to, I can't go to Sarcher's profile here and see super secret documents about the new surface devices that are coming. Like if I don't have access to those docs, I can't see them. Um, and so that that's, I know we get that concern a lot with Delve as a user experience, and, you know, developers often question, well, how comes I can see this? And it's like, it's shared with you. Like someone has shared that doc and that's why it shows up. So, yeah, we're, again, very conscious of 
app security and content security and everything in between. So I'm sure that will drive a lot of uh, uh, new developments of interesting one kick the tires on that. Uh, another new item in the graph, now this is in, in the beta endpoint, is that you can now create a subscription for chat messages and subscriptions, as developers would call them, are webhooks. And so this is a very often requested capability that is finally rolling out into beta. And so um, if you somehow want to get notified that a chat message has been, or a new a reply to a message or whatever the case may be, you can now subscribe to those subscriptions as well, uh, either one-to-one and or uh, in a team, which is nice to see. And this is coupled with a new thing. I know you have a fancy name for it, but the the the, the web page says it's change notifications that include resource data. Uh, what, what was it you guys you called? You had a fancy name for that, right? Mm, maybe maybe I shouldn't say uh, it. Okay, all right. So the, I mean, I'll say it. It's it's just, internally we've called it like rich webhooks. Rich web. I, that's the yeah. I like that term, yeah. right? Because it's not right. And so to go back for those who aren't familiar, when webhooks first came out and SharePoint had them and Exchange had them before Graph. You would get a, a call to an endpoint that would say, hey, something changed, and here's the ID of the thing that changed. And then it was incumbent upon the developer to take that ID and go figure out what was going on, right? And now the resource data in the payload is different. You can get information about the actual item that has changed, but that poses a bunch of security changes. And so you, if you are interested in this, there's a lengthy article that we'll link to that you really should understand about understanding how the security works and how to establish the encryption path and how to decrypt the response when it comes across. So I know a lot of people have been asking about this. Uh, For example, if you want to recreate the Teams application all by yourself, you could do so (laughs) with this. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff that's finally moving forward. Yeah, and, and a lot of that came from asks from customers and partners that wanted to not have that double hop back. So they didn't want to have to go and call the user's object to um, to get the information, or oh, sorry, not the user object, but get the chat resource object by calling the chat API straight after you get the webhook call back. And so it's something on the graph we're exploring for other APIs too, like Outlook messaging and um, SharePoint files and so forth. And Teams is just the first ones to kind of implement that. So um, yeah, that's out there. And then relative to Teams, but it's not actually that it's interesting. This is not the Teams team that shipped this. We have a team internally called IC3 that looks after all of our calling, which I think is part to do with the Skype acquisition. And so Presence is now available in beta on the graph. And my, oh my, was there a lot of people on Twitter over the Christmas break mucking around with IoT devices to change things color when people's availability or in progress, um, you know, changes in Teams. I think when I was in Prague, I was in Croatia, Paul. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's close. Um, which, by the way, their chocolate is amazing. Um, is that I showed it with the new PowerShell SDKs, actually. Just quickly running a PowerShell command let to just to change my thing and then just opening the Teams client just to show it changed. And people are like, wow, this is amazing. I think the IoT thing obviously is in demand. There's a bunch of partners been asking this for a long time that have hardware devices that you stick on your desk that show you whether people should come up and talk to you or not. But in, in most cases, people just ignore those things and come tap on your shoulder anyway. <laughs> I think the big scenarios are going to be things like I've got a business workflow and I need someone to immediately approve something. It's not something I can wait 24 hours for someone to get to the mail to approve it. Uh, maybe something in an engineering or a mining, construction, factory worker type thing. And in that instance, it would actually look at their availability, their status, their presence, as we've called it, um, and make that decision on whether it would assign the task to them or not. And only maybe do it if they're available rather than in a busy do not disturb or away type aspect. Well, I can envision if I have a device uh, like a Cortana device or Siri or whatever, a virtual assistant of some sort where I want to call Jeremy, it could perhaps tell me Jeremy's busy instead of, you know, making mm-hmm. the call and you not answering. So there's yeah. some benefit there as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. And again, beta, not production. I've already had a few people on Twitter ding me because the service was down. It's like, it's beta. 
It's not production. <laughs> there are no SLAs on beta. Don't rely on it. Um, and yeah. actually, to go back to the Insights things, we know. We, we can see the telemetry. We knew that Insights was being heavily used in a beta shape for a long, long time in a bunch of products. And a lot of them had fallback that if there was a change in the schema or the service was down, like they reverted to a, a secondary way of doing the business logic or degraded their application so it didn't work um, with the Insights data. So um, with presence, that'd be hard to do degradation of. There's no real other way of even inferring that other than out of office being completely not available. But um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. And um, the first question I've already had around this is right now, this is an API you just poll to get it. Um, they are looking to have webhooks as well. So you could subscribe to a webhook and the webhook would tell you when the status changes, but that's not in there just yet. So slow baby steps, but this is something that uh, Yina was loudly clapping about because she's like, oh, ever since we introduced the graph, people have been asking for this. And so it's great to finally have something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Excellent stuff. All right, so uh, next we'll move away a little bit from Microsoft Graph and dive deeper into uh, Microsoft uh, Developers, the title I put in our notes here, but this is around Azure Active Directory. We have a couple bit, bits here. The first one is they now support uh, token configuration in preview, and that's a fancy way of resurrecting yeah, what, what we used that? to do back in ADFS, right? So you can, a tenant administrator can configure the tenant to include some additional optional claims in the claim that gets sent across a token. So if I request a ah. token, I can put some... We used to do this a lot in, in the SAML world or the WSFed world with ADFS, for example. There was can you this, dynamically have it put in like properties of a user as well then, or is it just hard-coded things? At the moment, there is a fixed set of claims that you can add to the token. So I can't, right? So so in ADFS days, I could write some wacky expression language to yeah, calculate right. information and put that in there. That's not what they have, at least at the moment. Yeah. But the, the list of claims that you can add are things that you would want to know. For example, when the date on which a password expires for the current user. Oh, that's or cool. whether they're inside the corporate network or outside the corporate network. And some additional information about the user, right? So there's a, obviously this is a, a privileged operation that has to happen happen with a, tone, a tenant administrator, but it's a good step along that way to go through and say that uh, I can just put some JSON into the configuration in, in the portal, and then those come across as additional tokens yeah, or additional cool. claims inside the token. So yeah, that will certainly help. It's, like I said, it's not the full it's not the full thing that we could do back in the, the WS Fed days, but that's okay, right? The, the, the risk is people spent 20 minutes calculating a token just to do a one-second mm -hmm. operation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nice to see that moving along. That's good. And so that's in preview right now against AAD apps, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, organizational apps, right? So this doesn't work in uh, Microsoft accounts or personal accounts. This is Azure AD accounts only. Oh, and cool I, doesn't, yeah. I didn't see a note. I'm not, external users, I don't, or guest users probably aren't going to get this because some of the claim information is in their home tenant, not in your mm -hmm. federated tenant. So I wouldn't think it's the for everything, but yeah, but yeah certainly. Uh, I keep certainly asking that team stuff. for uh, one document to roll them all on external users and guests and all the different things in between to what works, what doesn't work. And it's, it gets yeah. mighty confusing. And then you put the workloads in there and everyone acts its own way. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, let me second that request. As soon as you get yeah. that, it'd be great. To <laughs> I started digging in my and I was like, oh man, this is, this is a full-time job to get this thing done. And then other news on the identity side is um, MCL, the Microsoft Authentication Libraries, they um, made the Java, not the coffee, the language, and Python, not Snake, the language, generally available. So there's quite a handful of uh, those MSAL API, API SDKs now available for you to use. Um, I still have conversations with partners at EBC, so sorry, executive briefings um, in our executive briefing center, the EBC, and also a lot of conversations on teams with partners that are still using ADAL and rolling their own. It's uh, definitely a challenging discussion to have because there's some people who are extremely opinionated <coughs> AC uh, <laughs> on not using uh -huh. those libraries but I will say based on discussions I'm having with so many different partners and challenges they hit because they go especially in a world where they're multi-tenant many customers have many different ways they set up their identity world and MCL 
kind of handles and caters for those different scenarios. If you hand roll to the standard scenario that you see in a developer tenant or your own stock tenant, it will burn you eventually when you have a customer that's got some configuration that's not standardized. And eventually you'll probably end up having to roll in MSAL. And so we lead with MSAL for that reason that has replaced ADAL. And so all of our code samples, our quick starts, all of our tutorials, um, all of our demos that we roll out all use MSAL. So um, I would really just encourage you to do it. And they have significantly improved them. I, I actually, my pet project that when I have spare time in, in quotes, um, you, in iOS uses it and um, I just upgraded to the latest MSAL and um, it actually did some really neat things with the way it does the prompts now and integrates it with the authentication app and shares the or suggests the identity when you first launch if another app on your device has MSAL. So you get some things for free that you wouldn't get if you weren't using MSAL. So I can't stress enough, use MSAL, please. Yep, I'm with you on that. There's a couple rough areas that can be worked on, but we'll get there for sure. To me, the biggest thing is I get MFA for free, right? Mm -hmm. So if I, if uh, my, my customer wants to use MFA, say, well, configure it in your tenant and everything will just work. Yep. So certainly worth doing that. Excellent. I'll move on to some community news here next. So the first one item we found is uh, an article from Lee Ford talking about the Graph API in PowerShell. So I know this was something that um, it was big on Daryl and Nina. It was part of a, a, an episode around the Ignite timeframe. And so uh, he's gone through and done some work on that. Yeah. And actually, I just was, had a meeting with Daryl yesterday. Um, they're about, based on all the feedback around having a prefix on the module names, um, They he went and got approval from the Godfather of PowerShell. Jeffrey Snover and Snover agreed based on on the discussion that was had that that was the right thing to go do. And so um, they're in the process of getting that release ready um, so that, you know, there'll be a new version with all the prefixes in there. So that I think that there was some conflicts with the exchange PowerShell command lets that unless you did some aliasing, it it didn't know what to do when you cause certain ones. This week I've been up to my elbows in Azure PowerShell and all of them have the AZ in yeah, front of it right. if I'm creating a new something. Yeah. So this that kind of makes sense to me. So but I think it's just a great example of like we're listening. Um, you know, initially, you know, Daryl was told like, no, no, you don't need a prefix. And, you know, Todd Clint came on our community call in December, which was really highly attended. So there's clearly a lot of demand for this. Um, and there was a bunch of feedback in that community call as there was when we announced it at Ignite, like almost instantly. And so, you know, we collated that all together and when I spoke to a lot of other people that have PowerShell commandments within Microsoft and we made that flip. So it, I think it's great that we, you know, we don't just go the course and we do take that feedback in. And that's why we have these preview periods. So that's that's the plan. And, and the process is working, is. right? <laughs> and actually the community call we just had in yeah. the first week in January, so on Tuesday this week. So if you're listening to this, it's the 10th of Jan, Paul and I are recording this. Um, we had Topaginski and Nikola Michulev, who's internal that looks after the graph toolkit, talk about the community, um, the meetings capture sample, demo sample that we showed in Ignite in a bunch of sessions. And I kind of put, we outsource this work to Canvas where Topaginski works. And, it, and I put on Todd like, hey, I really want to just automate the deployment of this whole thing. I don't want it to be like five pages of instructions to get this thing running. And so he actually used the PowerShell commandlets to go register the application in AAD silently and configure a bunch of other things using PowerShell, which was really cool. So it, it shows you as a developer how you can kind of like hands-off tear an entire environment down and then, you know, redeploy that whole application and all of its guts to have it running in Teams, which is really cool. I think there's like one thing he had to do in Teams and teams have already got that on their roadmap to add as an API. So that will be fully silent install in no time, which is great. Yeah, that uh, in this modern cloud world, that's important stuff to do. Um, for example, I have to do similar things if, to provision resources in a different region for customer needs, maybe have data residency or just you know network traffic. You, you never know when you might have to redeploy something, even though you already have it once, you have to do it again. So... It's good to see that working through. So, and so Lee goes through an example, um, kind of introductory type of thing, uh, how to get started, how to install it, and some examples and covers authentication. So um, good. And obviously with the new prefixes that are coming soon, he'll have to update his uh, blog post, but we'll, we'll post a link into there. 
And then the, um, the last community item is one I found from Mark Anderson. Uh, Mark has been around the SharePoint space for quite a while and does a lot of work with SPFX and and end user thing. He likes to to say that the hello uh, real you know uh, theory meet the real world. And this is a great post talking about that, uh, saying site designs for, for good information architecture is it too brittle? And Mark goes through laying out a little bit about what uh, the site designs capability bring to the table in the context of information architecture and content types and so on. And then there's some significant gaps in in the in the solution. And then the 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 word the messaging coming out of Microsoft on site designs went dark for some time, and so it's kind of a a call to action here or questions. Like, hey, what? Let's move the discussion forward. Saying what's happening here, it's got some potential. We close the gap, or is it bad? We should go somewhere else. So it'd be great to get people involved around what's going on here. Maybe maybe the holiday month was a bad time to get the discussion going, but I'd love to see this get resurrected and give some more love to the site design architecture. Yeah, well, because I know Sean moved over into Project Cortex in Naomi's team because he was looking after site designs or the first release of that. And then I believe Kathy Dewey was tentative to jump into looking after this. So um, I'm sure because she's very well engaged in the community and I, I love PMs that are that engaged that she's probably already had some good hard discussions with Mark on the way forward. If, if she does own it. Yeah, there was a community call with someone, and I don't think it was Kathy, some other person who discussed it more about the the themes and the design aspect, not so much the the provisioning bits of, of content types. So there's that one area there where it's more the site design is a generic term for what people think of as colors and fonts, but there's really more to it than that. And this is kind of the other stuff here as well. So good to see um, uh, Mark's, I mean, for me, me personally, I can just go through and write code and provision on content type, no problem. I, it doesn't bother me. But for folks who are in a similar boat, where or Mark's customers, where maybe they're not a developer and they don't ha- they don't know how to create a app only credential to to call the graph. So this is a, an ob- obviously approach that they could work on. So good to see this. Yeah, no, I love those discussions, Mark. We've had some great ones over the years, usually in bars, um, about you know his opinion and his customer base and. Um, you know, in some cases, we've just not been in lockstep with him in terms of, you know, wh- where our priorities are. And I think even if you look at SBFX, I know he'll, he'll talk about kind of TypeScript and the kind of the JavaScript is, you know, can be a lot simpler. But uh, I think, you know, we're starting to win him over a bit on some of that stuff, too, which is interesting. But um, we should get him on the show, I guess. We haven't had him on for a long time. I would have to dig back into the archives. To f- I think he was like episode three or four. Well, so uh, that it's a, yet another SharePoint focused talk we can have with with uh, news that came out, which we can cover more next week on, on SPFX. So we'll put we'll put Mark on the list and yeah. So we're gonna get Vesser on to talk about one point one zero, one point ten. We'll have to ask him how he says it. It's like an Apple thing. Is it X or is it ten? <laughs> well, we'll get yeah, the English translation. I'm not sure that's good. But um, <laughs> no, this week we had um, so, yeah. Kevin Ballinger, who's also in Oslo. We were talking about Simon Holt, who looks after Delve. There's a whole bunch of intelligence uh, stuff on M365, which run out of Oslo. A lot to do with the fast acquisition that happened over there and search being kind of in that location, that region, which is where Michael Svensson works as well, who was an MVP that joined Microsoft, I guess, Middle of last year now, late last year. Um, I digress. So Kevin is the architect that looks after um, the profile APIs amongst other things. And the profile APIs is kind of critical to where we're going. Um, for those people listening that are SharePoint developers, I guarantee all of you have at least used one swear word with the user profile service at some point in your career, especially if you're on SharePoint server. I certainly have. I think I actually even damaged my wrist once on my table Um deploying to a production environment in Western Australia. Um, and we all have owed beers to Spence Harbors for how to get that thing running and keeping it running for his document he, that he used to keep up to date every time a new version of SharePoint Server came out that where they just seem to break the user profile service. And so this is kind of like the evolution of that. And Kevin's a good lad. He um, goes real deep on this. And uh, it was really fun just to see. And obviously, I personally have a lot in this because I worked at a you know, well, not really a startup now because they're bought by Live Tiles, but a Hyperfish that had a whole profile kind of story and experience. And uh, so it was nice to see that we're starting to close some of those gaps that were 
um, were there when we were trying to build out product at Hyperfish as well. It's cool. Yeah, and I can't wait to to download and listen to this one. Uh, it'd be interesting, right? When you talk, even even if we're uh, the, the things that we cover now with the the insights and and Project Cortex is coming around the corner, and this all kind of ties together. So it's uh, certainly worth uh, folks being aware of what's happening with the new uh, APIs and and profiles recently recently added to beta, right? In the last semester, I would believe. So good good. Thanks for tracking him down. That's great, and I look forward to listening to that. And um, just top work, I listened to the Seb show, Sebastian Levert, sorry, Seb, uh, show. And it's funny because I was in Prague with him and we went out pretty much every night for drinks and had dinners together. And it was, we didn't really talk about work. It was actually kind of nice. And so I didn't really want to ask him to get on a show, but um, his show on talking about kind of modern development and some of the learnings was really interesting. And I think you did a great job of um, kind of digging in with him on that discussion. So if you haven't listened to that show, I'd highly recommend it. Um, it's, it was fun, but it was kind of like, I've just spent so much time with him and with Vincent Beret, who is now part of our org, uh, in the graph family. So it, it was, it was hilarious just to kind of constantly hear those two over the, the holiday break. Yeah. Well, uh, it's nice of you to say that's the story why you didn't interview him, but if you listen to the podcast, you'll see what my feeling is as to why Jeremy <laughs> didn't interview Seth. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it at that for this week. So great to catch up and we'll have a bunch more news and a nice episode again next week. And uh, thanks for listening. Cheers, buddy. See you, folks. Awesome. Well, it's the start of a new year here in Redmond. and um, But uh, Kevin, you're not in Redmond, but you work for Microsoft. Where, where are you based, mate? So I'm... Uh, hi. Uh, I'm based in Oslo in Norway. And what, when I met you in person, I was at Ignite. It was interesting because obviously I get a lot of grief for my accent. The fact I'm originally from England and live in Australia and been in the States now for nearly 10 years, coming up in March. But you've done a fair bit of travel yourself. Can you explain where you're from and where you've had your big stints of residency? Yeah, so I uh, I, I, I grew up in Australia and I was there for uh, roughly, I think, 20 years of my life, uh, born there, of course. And then... Uh, you know, for the next 20 years of my life, I've sort of bounced between uh, Norway, the United Kingdom, Germany, uh, Russia. Uh, I spent four years in Redmond uh, working for Microsoft as well, and now back here in beautiful Norway. So I sort of, I'm almost Norwegian, uh, and I've sort of almost to the point where I've lived half of my life outside of Australia. So it, I kind of feel like a tourist everywhere I go at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much exactly the same. You've been working on something that obviously is near and dear to my heart. Um, I know we've chatted about this a little bit in the past, but um, before rejoining Microsoft, I worked at a company called Hyperfish, which was essentially all about profiles and uh, managed to run a podcast for 18 months. It's really about profile information and how it impacted the business. And so when I saw that you were the principal PM focused on the profile API, um, on the graph, I was like, this is going to be really cool for Microsoft to actually have something that a lot of people have been asking about for a long, 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 long time. Can you, before we jump in, can you just explain, like, what's your journey been at Microsoft to the point where you got to driving this profile API? Uh, yeah, sure. So it, it's actually kind of, I, I don't know if it's a funny story or a sad story, uh, but it, it, it's, it's definitely <laughs> a story. Uh, many years ago when I worked in Redmond, uh, I worked on the Exchange server team and I was the, the release manager there for Exchange 2013. And uh, I left uh, Microsoft to come back to Norway and, and be close to the family here. And uh, I joined a small startup and did that for a few years. And uh, eventually the startup did what many startups do and sort of imploded and I needed to find something to do with my life again. And Microsoft came back and said, hey, you know, we're hiring here in Oslo. Why don't you come and take a chat? I, I go in, I, I knew Bjorn and uh, Sonana and some of the, the leadership here in Norway from uh, my time with Exchange. I, I originally joined to do enterprise search work. And two days after I uh, start my job and I come into the office, I'm sort of called in uh, to have a chat with Bjorn. Uh, and he said, hey, we're being asked to uh, take on uh, what is called the, the people charter. 
and uh, you're the Uber consultant, and you know we figure you'll be able to go and do some due diligence and, and tell us what it means and everything. So uh, for the next two or three months, I am working basically in, in secret and in isolation to sort of understand what this, this opportunity means for us here and you know what we should be doing. And you know all of the people in my team and around are like, what's that guy working on? Why is it taking so long for him to <laughs> ramp up? You know, why can't he chip in kind of stuff? And uh, so anyway, eventually it became clear, but... Um, so we took ownership uh, initially of uh, all of the consumer people services. So the profile, the old MSA profile, um, what you used to see on MSN, the profile photos, uh, the contacts and the infrastructure around that. So your buddies on MSN Messenger and the like, uh, with a goal and a sort of a mandate to go and rethink uh, how these were implemented, but also unify the enterprise and the consumer world and really start down the path of you know, leading the company towards a, a much better and much richer way of representing people in our products. Yeah, I think over the past, uh, it's almost four years now, I've, I've seen uh, pretty much every product that Microsoft releases uh, well in advance because people are so central to what we do uh, as a company. And uh, I get to see some really cool things and uh, we get to have some really interesting and animated conversations with our partners. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's been an incredible journey so far and sort of being able to stand up at Ignite um, in November and talk about the culmination of that journey and sort of being able to make it available direct to customers and, and our third party partners as well was, was really awesome. So yeah, so that's kind of how we got here. Just a quick thing on Oslo. So that was Microsoft acquired a company called Fast. That's why that office started, or was that office there already doing other things outside of search? No. So you're right. We uh, Fast was an acquisition by Microsoft in, uh, I believe it was two two thousand and it was either two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine. I should know that because we had a ten year party not that long ago. Uh, it might have been. <laughs> it was probably so good you for his memory wiped. It may well, it may well have been two thousand and nine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, the, you know, at the time of the acquisition, it was uh, enterprise uh, search focused. Um, so it had a, a you know, uh, quite frankly, a really amazing product that uh, uh, much of the Fortune five hundred were using. Uh, they also had a, a really great presence when it came to. Uh, consumer uh, web search and targeting as well. So for for a time, they actually owned the AltaVista uh, web search engine, if you remember that, um, sort of dating myself a little bit here. Yeah, um, yeah that's the first search engine yeah. I used. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and they uh, they kind of, they, they came in, they were acquired uh, specifically by the SharePoint team, and then... Uh, 2013 or exchange 2013 was when they started powering uh, enterprise search or email search within exchange. Uh, and then we sort of uh, moved on now to working more and more on people. We still have uh, a search focus through our work with, with Microsoft uh, search, of course, uh, but gradually our, our focus is becoming more and more on things like uh, people and how we better enable them to to be more productive within our products. And so, in terms of the the announcements at Ignite, uh, I mean, obviously, there were, in my opinion, some big people announcements prior to what you showed. The biggest things the team have done is around kind of essentially now the contact card wherever you are in in uh, the Office three six five experience is essentially looking the same. Um, whereas, you know, the, the past where, you know, you'd hover over someone's name and you'd see a different contact card with different information and different profile photos was a, you know, a really poor user experience that we provided with our customers in the past. And so it is that work that was done to like lay that foundation of, I don't know what you called it, but the, I guess the unification really of the contact card experience across the different products having this API, the profile API is basically like that next step to making that available for others to use as well. Was that kind of the the driver for it? 
Yeah, I think the the, the driver is probably uh, twofold. So I think the the experience, uh, the the people experiences group that we have in in Fast, I think have you know, quite frankly done a, an amazing job in taking uh, what was something that was so pervasive and yet so broken across all of our products and you know, getting us to the point now where we're sort of on the verge of 100% consistent across the entire M365 suite. Uh, and then really starting to up-level and help us add value through services like the Profile API and the Contacts APIs that we have. So the, the idea behind the Profile API is really that you know, uh, while the look and feel of the card was dramatically different in places uh, across M365, there were also serious challenges when it came to uh, data provenance and where information was being served from, which was also causing a significant amount of problems. So unifying into a single uh, endpoint where you could fetch all of the data and, and more importantly, an authoritative source for that data uh, is key to making sure that we've got this great uh, card experience that surfaces in all of these, end, uh, all of these uh, services uh, and at the same time, we've got the same data showing up in the same place. And um, the next step is really infusing uh, intelligence and adding depth to that representation of a person through those canvases that we now have available you know, via uh, all of these products uh, within M365. And, and so the developer in me is intrigued on this API, um, for instance, the skills, which for the many of the listeners on the call come from a SharePoint background. Traditionally, that was a user profile service in SharePoint Server, which was a bundle of lives keeping that thing running and restarting Windows services and juggling updates and so forth as a, the shared service provider and whatever hell it was called before then. It, is that essentially a cloud version of that which was been in SharePoint Online, or is has there been engineering work to try and consolidate all this into one single data store? Like, where where is all this data coming from? So today, uh, the the data that's served by the profile service itself uh, comes from what we call a user shard uh, on the M three sixty five substrate. So. You should think about this as a as a container that contains the data about you and the data uh, that you own. Um, so that might be your email. It could be uh, representations of files. Uh, it's your profile, your contacts, your profile photos, stuff like that. What we do today with the profile API is we source or we sync in uh, the information that is still uh, in places uh, mastered elsewhere. So skill, skills is a great example uh, from, from SharePoint and the UPA because we still have experiences uh, that either our customers have built on top of SharePoint Online uh, or even Delve at this current point in time are using the, the UPA store for serving their data around skills and, and certainly the customer experiences as well. As we, as we move towards GA of the profile API, uh, increasingly what we will do is redirect those calls inbound to UPA to actually be served by the profile API with a view to eventually replacing those, those fields or, or rather deprecating those fields altogether. When you think about skills, what we see is you know, there are initiatives like uh, Project Cortex and the like where they're starting to surface and prompt you to add things to your profile or add things to your ask me about. Uh, what we're able to do is store side by side in the profile API information from multiple sources and dedupe it and present a single consistent view of the information about that person. Uh, which you might not otherwise get. And then where needed, we uh, sync back uh, to remote stores so that we've got a consistency story for those experiences or those legacy products that still have a direct connection to another store. So we're trying to be very deliberate about uh, where we 
write new data and where we innovate. Uh, but at the same time, we're also keeping an eye towards the fact that many of our customers have implementations uh, or clients that are not easy to upgrade or not fast to upgrade. And that we need to also have a nice story for them as well, even if it is uh, not quite as rich as, as what the profile API provides. I think it's really good that that's the case because I know in the past, you know, that has caused issues. And I think the the transparency of that moving forward will definitely help developers knowing that that's the case with the direction as opposed to kind of being like, oh, well, if you wanted to do this, you're going to have to migrate data or, um, you know, handle both APIs and juggle it. So that's that's really neat. I know in the past with the Photos API, I think when that journey was going on in getting to one profile photo, there was a lot of work, for instance, that Hyperfish engineering team had to do to make sure that if Hyperfish updated the photo, it did it in all the different places that it could be um, accessed. And and so like having this kind of unified API that will essentially do that for you is definitely going to make it easier for developers to go build out kind of people-centric experiences for sure. Yeah, that, that was sort of our goal from the outset was, you know, it, it, it's really... Uh, I think it's understandable, but it's also sort of amazing to me that we managed to end up in a a world where you could store a profile photo in five or six different places across M three sixty five, and and it's the same with a lot of pro uh, a lot of profile data as well, um, and and even to an extent contact data, and so a lot of our investment um, in especially in the last uh, eighteen to twenty four months has been around ensuring that we identify these places and we start removing them one by one uh, where we can with a view to getting to that single consolidated uh, representation, that single store. And th- there are times where we're having to be very pragmatic and recognize that there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. And sort of to your point about hyperfish and you know, some of the challenges around profile photos, you know, we're starting to see a situation where uh, we we write out to certain repositories that we know aren't easy to get rid of, just so that we can ensure that we're we're getting closer and closer to that to that coherent and consistent story as well. So it's been one of the most interesting and one of the most challenging uh, aspects of the role. Uh, I, I'm definitely not getting sick of it yet. Uh, I am maybe getting sick of people asking me when, when we're going to be done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling it's going to be a long, long time before we can start turning off some of these uh, some of these systems. Yeah, I think there, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a long tail that we need to be cognizant of. Um, but certainly, you know, just starting to see that some of the really glaring issues are going away really. You know, gives the team energy and you know, sort of gives us all a bit of you know hope that we're moving in the right direction. And certainly, the feedback from customers at Ignite was just absolutely phenomenal, and you know, I kind of felt a little bit mobbed at the end of the the session we had on profile. You know, it's just like this is awesome, and yeah, you know, I think it's like I think a special shout out there for to the the guy in the uh, in the Sounders jersey who. Uh, didn't have a question and didn't, you know, didn't really, if I'm honest, care about what I'd just been talking about. Uh, he just loved that I had the Seattle Sounders, Colorado State, uh, and just football and goalkeeping in in my presentation, and he wanted to stick. Around. That's right, because the coaching. <laughs> he wanted to, he wanted to stick around and tell me that he used to be a goalkeeper and he was originally from uh, Colorado State, and he loved the Sounders as well. So I just it's like, it was just like that that passion that got stirred up by that uh, by that presentation was just amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched it and I'll put the link for the recording because it was really good that they record the theater sessions as well. But um, the, just the storytelling aspect of that was really good fun. Like it was almost like a, a poster child way of like, yeah, that's how you do it. And 20 minutes, boom, done. Like, it, you know, I think you did a very good job of um, telling telling your story and telling the story of the product as well. Oh, thanks. The, um, the, the interesting thing about, you know, and you can go to the, the beta reference because this is a beta API that Kevin announced um, at Ignite in November. If you go under the beta reference and go to the users on the table of contents and then to profile, you can see it all there. 
Um, but one thing I've noticed is that there are kind of newer things that weren't, there were some things you could do before, whether it was skills using the user profile service in SharePoint or um, storing some things in the Active Directory um, user schema profile, however we want to call it. Um, but there seem to be some net new things here that seem to be influenced by other things that Microsoft have acquired um, and predominantly around LinkedIn. So the education activities list and the, uh, I mean, the list of projects we had in SharePoint, but it was really only a, a, a named projects and not kind of details of the projects. Um, and then also the notion of the work positions within, uh, which I think find super useful to be able to kind of get a context of, you know, what else have they worked on and what experiences they have. And, and so, you know, when you go into a meeting with someone, what you can expect and where their strengths and weaknesses are going to be. Uh, how much of that was driven from the LinkedIn acquisition being things or just things in general that people were, were asking for as you were doing that research when you first took this role on? I think it's a little bit of both. So uh, back in uh, 2016, I'm actually trying to think when we acquired LinkedIn now. Uh, I think it was around the time we announced the acquisition of LinkedIn. I don't actually quite remember. But so in um, September, I think it was 2016, uh, Rajesh Jha, who is the, the head of uh, Ent Entertainment and Devices, which is sort of part of the broader group that we're all in, was set down a path of wanting us to uh, begin exploring some of the, the more strategic uh, architectural um, decisions we need to be making in terms of a number of core entities that as it related to productivity. Um, so uh, it was rather imaginatively named uh, Star Treks. Um, so there was seven or eight different treks uh, and Star Trek A uh, was people. Uh, so myself and uh, Johannes Gerke, who's a, a technical fellow, and another guy, Chetul Bergstrand, and I, we sort of sat down and we started musing around, okay, how, how would we model a person if we had the opportunity to really um, start from scratch and, and think about the, the facets and the elements of a, of a person and how that information could be used within a, an enterprise environment. And, you know, so certainly LinkedIn had uh, a, a great start in some of the work that they'd done with, with their service. Uh, we also looked and took inspiration from some of the other enterprise providers out there. I think we also looked at Hyperfish at the time. Um, we looked at Google. And then we started thinking about it from the point of view of what are some of the general organizational challenges that we see within Microsoft uh, that we feel we could solve with a better representation of the person. So we sort of started asking ourselves these questions, right? You know, uh, one example was who was Perry's boss and or who is the account manager for Coca-Cola? And trying to think about some of the the challenges that a knowledge worker would come up against in their day-to-day -day life uh, and then try and identify a way that we could address that at least at a, at a data and a modeling level so that it could then eventually surface via an experience. You know, work position is a great example, right? It's really nice to be able to contextualize uh, you know, a person through their job history, right? Which is sort of the whole point of a resume and your know, LinkedIn is really your online resume, if you will languages, uh, name pronunciation. Um, you know, just last week I got an email from MSIT where their Japanese, uh, or one of their Japanese teams had gone off and built their own little profile experience, uh, with everybody's name in, I think it's kanji is Japanese uh, character set. I'm not sure. Uh, but in the, in the Japanese character set, because Active Directory could only store, you know, one single representation and the Microsoft standard is English. You know, and now we've got this uh, within the profile store, we've got this ability to store two representations of a name, one in a local language and one in you know, a common language. So uh, we're able to start 
adding this kind of value and solving these seemingly small issues um, when you think about it, but actually you know, are, are generally huge problems for our customers as well. And if we can, if we can gradually pick off some of these high value scenarios and really enable organizations to fix these little niggling things, then one, it makes our products and services much more attractive, uh, but two, it also uh, makes the, the people that are using our products and service more productive over time. And so there seems like there's a lot of thought, and you can see that from the docs and the way that the schema is presented and the different um, resource objects that are kind of embedded in within each other on the graph, like just looking at like the position detail resource type and the fact that there is a company property and a description property, the job title itself, as well as the role and then the start and month and then just a short summary of the position. Like I feel like that gives a lot of flexibility that people can, you know, an organization can use this in different ways, um, which is nice. So it's not like we implemented what Microsoft wanted out of this. It seems apparent there's been a lot of thought there to make sure that this will work for all companies and not just the, the ginormous organization that we have that has challenges that are very different to other organizations that will be using Microsoft 365. Yeah, we've been we've been very deliberate and I sort of, you know, I must have <laughs> I must have spent maybe between twelve and fifteen hundred hours on that schema over the over the course of the last twelve months, um, and you know, sort of talking to customers, uh, you know, all over the world, going to Compass events, um, talking to MVPs, talking to teams within Microsoft, talking to MSIT, and really trying to come up with that that middle ground where you know, really what we were looking to do was was define you know, what I'll call the outer boundaries or the, you know, the parameters of a platform and then it be as flexible as we possibly could within that so that uh, it was as useful and as broadly applicable to as many of our customers as possible or keeping it simple enough for those that have very straightforward needs uh, and then, you know, for our really large enterprise customers who want to go all out and, and build a, a great experience on top of Microsoft Graph, give them the flexibility to be able to do that. So the, the preview and sort of the entities that we announced, um, you know, whether that be the ones that are available now or the ones that we're still sort of reviewing and arguing about internally or taking feedback from customers on uh, are all, uh, you know, a, a piece of that puzzle. Uh, with the next logical step post defining that first class schema is really how do we then go about allowing our customers to extend it, do so in a, in a way that makes sense for their organization. And I think just the first two or three days standing on the booth at Ignite, you know, I got four or five different questions from customers about, well, can I do this or can I do that? And you know, my immediate response was, Man, I didn't even think about that. Uh, so you know, this we're never gonna we're never gonna get everything. So we tried to to get to a nice set of fields and a nice set of entities that are broadly applicable. And then what we want to be able to do is over time give our customers the flexibility to take and extend that schema. You know, take give our partners the ability to take and extend that schema to meet their needs and allow them to build on top of the M three sixty five and the and the graph platform. So if they wanted like a position code or something technically they could add that property. Obviously not now, but in the future they could add that to that resource type. Is that kind of the the feeling exactly yeah I, I was actually writing that spec today yeah, there you go. Uh, so, i'm not spying on so, you i promise yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so i guess the other aspect of this and you've mentioned cortex as we've been talking um and if you're not aware of what project cortex is there's a great session by naomi moneypenny um at ignite and i do need to get on here to talk a little bit about where cortex is going from a development story as well but i'm assuming they're a fairly big customer or an internal customer review with all this as well. Yeah, we've been we've been working with the Cortex team for uh, since since well before they were called Cortex, uh, and um, you know so the a lot of the the skill or ask me about feature that they uh, announced at, at Ignite is actually powered by the Profile API. Uh, so internally now, uh, because we're not yet GA, we're we're working on uh, making sure that we're also sort of representing that data in in various places. But generally. 
the work that teams like Cortex are doing are, are really fundamental in uh, not only helping us to actually increase our understanding of a user um, you know, within our products and sort of help make those products better, but also uh, taking that effort away from the user, right? The fact that they don't need to remember to go and update their profile because we might prompt them in an email or in a profile card when they look at themselves to add something to their profile or to based on their behavior with a certain product for us to be able to infer that, you know, I might be an expert in PowerPoint, uh, but I'm not so great in Excel anymore. So we might prompt me to add PowerPoint as one of my skills or something like that and sort of capture the, the projects, capture some of the acronyms that are used and are very pervasive within an organization, which if you're there for a very long time, you, you learn and you know and you understand, but for somebody coming in as a new starter, it's very hard for you to grasp and just having the ability to hover over an acronym as an example, which is one of their, their hero, hero scenarios and, and see, oh, you know, this is what that means um, or hover over a person and sort of see the, some of the things that they know um, or that you can actually ask for assistance on from them is going to be very powerful stuff. And I think we're really only just scratching the surface with some of the work that those guys are doing. So it's it's super exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited to see all that. And every time I see a, a demo of that at a conference or now I've kind of kind of got to be a bit more involved in the loop, it's um, really exciting to see. I mean, that's real sci-fi tech stuff, which I think is going to be super valuable to a business. I don't know whether you're going to know this answer, but as you're in the people team, and I don't know what sure the public answer is to this, but you know, as contact cards are kind of prevalent everywhere, there hasn't been much work on Delve that's happened. But I feel like Delve is something that I still use a lot, whether it's stalking people to see what documents they're working on that I have access to, but also just general profile information as a sometimes quicker lick up than looking for, like for a contact card or looking for their person name to click on their contact card to see them. Um, what, is there any insight you can give there on Delve and where that's going with this whole direction with the people experience? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, either I'll get fired or, uh, or, you know, I'll, it'll, it'll be okay. I'm sure. Now, um, Delve as a, as a concept and, you know, as a product and a, and a set of scenarios is, is incredibly powerful. Um, you know, like you said, right. I, I, I do the exact same thing, right. It's, I get an email from someone, I go and look at their Delve profile to figure out who they are and how we interact or if they know people that I know and so on. Um, I think what we, what we're, what we're seeing, uh, if I, if I touch on the Delve profile for a minute, what we're seeing is there's this general trend, uh, towards the profile merging into, uh, not being a destination, but rather just being some something that's pervasive. So, you know, the fact that I can hover over you in Outlook and see 99% of the same information as what I would see if I went to Delve is a great example of that, right? You know, whether that be the files that you've been working on recently, people that are related to you or whatever, um, it's it's a mini version of Delve, if you will, right? For in a person-specific context, and then, and then you have sort of the notion of, of, of Delve as uh, an information source. And I think this is where some of the investment that, that's been ongoing for a while uh, with a number of teams across Microsoft, including the SharePoint team, is really starting to uh, manifest. Whereas historically, it's been a destination for files and content. Um, we're now starting to see uh, the ability to draw in data from other sources um, and turn it more into like a feed, if you will. Uh, so, you know, the fact that a great example is, I, I don't know if you've seen this on, on the internal uh, Delve site, but if you were to email me a PowerPoint presentation, I, I now go to Delve, I actually see that email attachment, even though that email attachment is living in my inbox, it surfaces as a snippet of information that is relevant to the relationship that you and I have. And being able to take some of these information artifacts that are being shared in places other than you know, OneDrive or what was traditionally SharePoint and, and drawing that additional information is, I think, is making Delve um, very powerful. And I think we're going to continue to see an evolution of that, whether it's 
IM conversations or YAML threads or whatever starting to surface alongside the more traditional content. Yeah, that's awesome because I often get questioned about that. And I know for a long time the the stock answer was, you know, it was the first example of being able to use what, what, what was then the Office Graph, um, which we evolved into the Microsoft Graph and Insights being on the Microsoft Graph, which is V1, by the way. You may have missed that in December if you're listening, but um, Simon Holt's team actually v one that Insights API on the Graph. But um, it's good to hear that Delve is kind of evolving and will take on a lot of that Insights API as well as all the stuff that you're doing there as well on the Profile API as well. So um, that's awesome. And so look, I know I said I'd keep you to half hour and I figured we'd probably go long because it's an area that's passionate to me. So <laughs> I really appreciate your time, Kevin. And um, I'm glad they've got someone as smart and I guess detail orientated and empathetic towards customers and partners as you in that role because I think with someone else in the role it could have gone horribly wrong so um, a big thank you if people want to provide feedback um, obviously they can go see the docs at graph.microsoft.com and get click on the beta reference go to users and the profile is there how can they provide feedback to you on this if they maybe they're an ISV like Hypervish which I know we've been introducing people directly, but if they're listening and they'd like to provide feedback, what's the best way for them to do that? We, we actually set up a, an email address uh, for feedback on the uh, preview that we announced at Ignite. So I think you can maybe include it in the, the podcast when it goes out, but I'll just I'll rattle it off here now uh, as well. So profile customer feedback, all one word, at service.microsoft.com. So if you take a look at the documentation or you have questions around something I said or anything like that, you're more than welcome to send us an email there and that comes directly to us in the engineering team. Uh, and, you know, uh, we're generally fairly responsive and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of really interested in hearing the different perspectives and, and questions that our, our customers and, and partners have as well. So please take advantage of that. Apart from that, I guess you can attack me on Twitter as well. Uh, <laughs> I've set up a, a slightly more corporate uh, Twitter Twitter handle uh, recently uh, due to... <laughs> I liked your personal handle, though. My personal handle is uh, is is a lot of fun. So, but uh, and there's a, a great story behind that. But my uh, corporate one is underscore K Belling uh, as well. So you can you can get hold of me there, and uh, Jeremy and a few other Microsoft Graph folks follow me. So I should be fairly easy to track down. What was your personal one again? I'm three weeks off, so my brain switched off, but it made me laugh when I saw it. It's a clueless Muppet. <laughs> That's just awesome. Please don't ever give up, get rid of that alias. No, I'm definitely keeping that one. I'm sort of focusing that more on <laughs> my personal views, um, which, yeah may or may not have gotten me into trouble in the past I, it was kind of funny because i wanted to at mention you i think you, because of the ignite thing and i was like oh man at clueless muppet that's gonna look really bad <laughs> come watch clueless muppet presented ignite on profile apis <laughs> yeah no so the the story there was it was actually quite funny uh i was in whistler in 2009 and uh a friend of my wife's uh, was into Twitter and I had absolutely no idea what Twitter was at the, at that point. And she, uh, she said, yeah, I'm going to this tweet up. And I'm like, what the heck is a tweet up? And, uh, she's like, well, they're going to have beer and nachos. And I, I, if you've ever been to Whistler and you've been to the Garibaldi lift company, uh, you know what their nachos are. And it's like, it's, it's worth signing up for Twitter for. <laughs> and, so anyway, I go in and uh, this girl at the door, she's like, well, you know, you have to write your handle down on, oh, this, on this sticker. <laughs> and I was like, what do, you, what do you mean my handle? She's like, you know, your, your Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, so I sort of, I was like, I just wrote at Clueless Muppet and uh, you know, sort of stuck it on my, my chest and went in. And she's like, oh, haha, that's funny. I'm going to follow you. Uh, so then I had to go and sign up. And fortunately, Clueless, yeah, it's like shocker, but uh, Clueless <laughs> Muppet wasn't taken. And yeah, basically, that's how I got it. And then I realized that you could actually tweet and put a hashtag 
and it would show up on all the big screens on the um, <laughs> in the bar. So you know, my first four or five tweets are are, are kind of kind of interesting as well. If anybody ever goes to the the Twitter time machine, you'll sort of understand the context of them a little better now. That's a really good story. I like it. Well, look, thanks so much, mate. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing all the the different solutions that customers and partners go build on this, and and actually what we're going to do internally with it as well. So, I'm. You know, I'm envious that you've got to work on something this core and I guess so monumental within the company. So congrats and um, thank you for carving out time to speak to me today. Yeah, no problem. I, I really appreciate you uh, and you know the, the people that are listening to this podcast taking an interest in, in what we do. It's sort of, it can be quite hard working on backend APIs at times uh, when we we see our experienced cousins get all the glory. Um, so it's nice to know there are, there are people out there that care about APIs as well. <laughs> it's, it is very true. Yeah, we, we don't often get the limelight for everything going on, that's for sure. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, look, um, I'll um, get you on the show once you uh, GA, and um, hopefully you get lots of feedback from people listening. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.